How great you are, God. Praise the Lord. Tonight I'm bringing the Bible reading from Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And if you're looking for some baby names, this is a really good passage to find them in. Let's hope I can pronounce them right. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place and built as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Paseah, and Meshalem, son of Besadiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, Meltiah, son of Gibeon, and Jadon, son of Merinoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedaiah, son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabiah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hasub, son of Pihath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. This is the word of the Lord. Rochelle, I was told once, and this is just between me and you, don't let anyone else hear this. Um, if you're unsure of how to pronounce a name, just do it with confidence, and people go, wow, she really knows what she's talking about. But I have it on good authority too. If you'd like to know how to pronounce all those things, Pastor David would like to talk to you. And uh, if he gets too busy, Pastor Jeff is here tonight as well, and he'd love to help you with those pronunciations. Guys, we're welcome again to church this evening. It's great to be here. And uh, again, I count it as a privilege to be able to come and just um, bring God's word to you. So uh, we're getting into uh, this chapter three. And it's a difficult chapter. I mean, we've seen all those names and things like that. And if you're going to name those children that, please get the pronunciations correct. Uh, But it would be good to see some of those biblical names come back. It's really interesting when we look at the chapter that we're looking at this evening. And uh, obviously, when we prepare uh, the messages that we do, we go through a number of common and things like that. And uh, one of the most 
um, popular commentaries um, on Nehemiah is one by Charles Swindle called Hand Me Another Brick. And uh, it's very interesting because when you go to that particular commentary, there's chapter two and you flick over and chapter four. And it's like, wait a tick, and you flick back and it's chapter two and he doesn't even mention chapter three. It's like it doesn't even exist. And this is the case with a number of the commentaries actually on Nehemiah. They just don't want to cover chapter three, which is really interesting. And in a way, it's very sad as well, because if we think about God's word, every word contained in this book is inspired by God. That's what we believe. Amen? Amen. Good. And, and so if every word contained in this book is something that is inspired by God, then all of it should be treated equally. Shame on Mr. Swindle. But hopefully this evening we'll get something out of this and it'll be something that we really do benefit from. So let's just pause and pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your inspired word. We want to thank you for the way it speaks to us. And I thank you for this message tonight, Lord, and thank you for what you've said to me through this. I pray, Lord, that we'll have open hearts, open minds to hear from you. And the Lord, again, will reflect on all that you've told us through scripture, that we'll see the continuation of the story of your plan of redemption from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And that, Lord, we'll focus on that. We'll realize that even in these earlier books, it's all about Jesus. Lord, we want to encounter you. So please speak with us this evening. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, I want you to think about the scene that Nehemiah is actually heading into here. And when he's arrived at Jerusalem, he's done his survey of the walls and things like that. And part of the walls are totally destroyed. They're totally gone. So they're going to have to be built from the foundation all the way up. But there's some parts of the walls that just actually need some repair and things like that. And so he's got this task before him and different um, situations around the wall um, that have to be repaired. And these people that were actually in Jerusalem, they're possibly in a very similar situation. They're, some of them are just spiritually and mentally destroyed. They, they are without hope as Nehemiah arrives. And they've been trying to rebuild this wall and they've been, you know, had people made fun of them. They've had people speak against them. They've had people deter them from doing the work. And they're just broken. They had this expectation that God was going to do something great when they returned. They were the first of the exiles to come back. And surely God was going to bless them and Jerusalem would be restored. But that's not what they've experienced. And so as Nehemiah arrives on the scene, these guys are no longer committed to the work. The task was too big. The opposition was too great. The demands upon them were far too taxing. And so Nehemiah comes across these people who have no hope. They've got no one leading them. They've got no one encouraging them. They've got no one building them up. Now think about this. The interaction between Jerusalem and the king has been very negative. The king himself has demanded that the work be stopped. And so this official arrives because Nehemiah, remember, was the king's right-hand man. And so this official arrives with all the pomp and ceremony that would go with that, all the other officials that would have traveled with him, part of the king's army. And he comes. Do you think they would have greeted him? Do you think they would have welcomed him? Do you think they would have thought this was a fantastic thing? Or do you think that would have been like, oh no, here comes another one of these guys and who knows what's going to happen this time. We've got nothing. We've got nothing left. What more can they take from us? But he doesn't come to cause trouble. He doesn't come to take. In fact, he comes to give. 
And he believes that he has been called and commissioned by God to rebuild Jerusalem. And I have no doubt that when he relays this to the people about all that God has done, and he would have said what God has done for him in order to be there, but he would have also spoken about the part that Jerusalem is to play in the redemptive plan of Jesus. He would have told about how Messiah was going to be raised up from them as a nation and as a people. And his words would have caused them to remember the promises that God had made concerning Israel. And it would have been about that plan of salvation that would have, ex- that would have existed only through this nation state. And this nation presently lies in ruin. That has to change. And if God's plan of redemption, as they knew it, is to be fulfilled, then they have to be able to rebuild those walls. They are God's chosen people. God has a plan and a purpose for them, even in the midst of what they're facing right here and now. Jerusalem is to be the city of God. It is to be the centre of where worship actually happens. It is from this hub that they should monitor and trace the promise of the line of King David. And the promised Messiah will come through that line. And he encourages and spurs these peoples on. And their hands are strengthened for the good work by Nehemiah arriving on the scene. And as they realise what Nehemiah says, as he encourages and strengthens them, as they realise that there is some hope, they take the step that they should take when they're talking about honouring and glorifying God, and that is that they honour God first. Don't ask me why there's a question mark. Gee, we're having a good day today, aren't we? Pastor Darrell had a doozy this morning. Who was here for that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We learned a lot about Greek, didn't we? Yeah, the Greek word for joy apparently is noi. Anyway, we won't go there. That was one of Pastor Darrell's this morning. So uh, I'm obviously having similar difficulties. But off the back of what Nehemiah has said, these people are stirred. There's suddenly hope. This city of God lays in ruins. But this remnant has returned and they have built or repaired dwelling places for themselves. But the city hasn't been touched. And so Nehemiah comes and says, this has to change. And we have the nations around Jerusalem have been mocking them. They've been making fun of them. They've been criticizing them. um, And they've become the butt of so many jokes. This city of God, the joy of the whole earth? Really? And what now happens turns this around. The people are called to one purpose. They're called to one goal. And they believe they have a part and a role to play, each and every one of them. And when Nehemiah speaks, he speaks in terms of honouring and glorifying God. And so it's appropriate that the first work that is done is one that honours and glorifies God. And one that gives a great example to the people. Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and priests and they built the sheep gate and they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananiah. And the priests of Jerusalem accepted all that Nehemiah said and they accepted it enthusiastically. And they set the rhythm. They set the tone. They were the first to rise up and they set this example. And they put in great effort and work and they encouraged the rest to be involved as well. As appropriate, the first work that they carried out is the restoration of the sheep gate. 
Now this gate is the gate in which the sacrifices of all the animals would come through into the temple. And so they repair this gate and then they sanctify it, they consecrate it. And both of these words mean that this is set apart and made holy under God. It is prayed for and it prayed over as a special usage for the Lord God. And so they're honouring God in the work that they've actually done there. And they've dedicated this area to God in a very special way. And how appropriate is it when God calls that the first work that is done is consecrated to him, that we pray to him, that we honour him, that we lift up his name at the commencement of that work and we dedicate it to him. If God is in it, he should be put first. He should be honoured. And all through scripture, we see when God's people work according to his word, when they humble themselves before the Lord and ask for his purpose and design, we see that they all work in unity. It's repeated again and again. And these priests rose up, they commenced the work, they set the example to the others. But the work was too great for them to do on their own. And it was never God's plan or purpose that one group would be responsible for all of the work. And think of the language that is used all through this chapter. And if you see, and next to him, and next to him, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, it's repeated all through this chapter of Scripture. If we examine who is involved, we'll see that it was men and women. We'll see that it's ruling class and working class. We'll see that it's priest and laity. We'll see that it's merchants and clergy. We'll see it's professionals and commoners. They're working next to each other. They have one goal, one aim, one purpose, and they're united in that one aim, one goal, one purpose. And I have no doubt that there's people involved who would have had particular skills. Um, I'm not sure. Is Tom here tonight? Tom is here. Tom's up the back. In in Israel, they've actually found some of the um, altars that were from biblical times, and the rocks have been shaped in an incredible way, and they fit perfectly together. One of the altars that they actually found was actually in another rock wall, and because of the way the rocks were shaped, they were able to put it back together. And so they found every rock that would go back together. So there's people who were skilled in shaping those rocks. They would have had a particular role and task in rebuilding this wall. But think about the other things that had to happen. Think about um, the fact that all this rubble would have had to have been moved. There would have been things that had to be cleaned. There were those who would have had to have shaped those rocks and things like that. There were people who would have had to have been fed. There was water that would have had to have been provided for these people. There's so many different things that happen. And these people came together and what a gift, talent and ability that they had. They used it for the building up of this wall. And I'm sure that there would have been people who thought that they were inadequate, but they said, you know what, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to do what I can, whatever that is. And if that's just carrying a bucket of water for these people, I'm going to do that. And so we have this nation who's suddenly been drawn together, who have such a passion and hunger and desire to serve God and see his purposes fulfilled, that they'll do whatever it takes in order to make that happen. Everyone was doing whatever they could to contribute to the work of God. And this is what a holy nation looks like. They don't focus on the differences. They are a people who focus on individuals and see that they have value and worth and purpose because if they're in that place at that time, God has a purpose and a reason for them being there and they can contribute. And each and every one of these people contributed to the task that God had said.
And this was a foretaste. This was an example or an illustration about how God intends the body, his church, to be. And I know when we read about the body of Christ, when we read about what the church should be like, we skip over that because it becomes a little bit difficult for us to see that the body actually pulls together and that's the way we should be. Do you genuinely concern, are you genuinely concerned for those sitting around you as if they were part of your body? Because you should be. That's what the body of Christ is all about. And there's parts here, people gathered here, who need to be protected and cared for more than others. That's just the way it is. And there's others who will be upfront people. And that's because that's the way they're gifted. They're no, no more special than anyone else. But they just have that gift, talent and ability that God has blessed them with. And there's others who will seem like they're doing not much at all. But they're behind the scenes. You know, could you imagine what would happen to this place if we didn't have people mow the lawns? Who knows who mows the lawns here? I've got one person, two people, three people. Do I see four? Four it is, five it is, up the back, thank you, five it is. Do I hear six? Six it is. But think about it. Who cleans the toilets? Who cleans the bathrooms? Who vacuums the floors? If none of that happened, we wouldn't enjoy worshipping here. And there's people who do roles and tasks that we just take for granted. But they're vital to us being able to come here honour and glorifying God. And I celebrate each one of them. We were praying for them only this weekend. We could hear the mowers going outside and we we're thanking God for those people who are out there doing that work for us. So this place would be presentable. Think about these people standing side by side as they rebuild the wall. Could you imagine what it was like when someone just got a little bit exhausted and they're like, oh man, I don't think I can do this anymore. But their brother was right alongside them and they knew that they wanted to complete this work. Like, no, come on, let's just do a little bit more. We'll pause after we get this up to this stage and we'll have a drink of water together. You know, this is awesome. Let's just keep building. Let's keep going. And they spur each other on in the work. If you had someone stand alongside you and do that, I, had, I used to have people do that for me. I had... Um, my wife is very kind to me uh, in years past, and she bought me a personal trainer um, for my birthday once. And um, that personal trainer was right alongside me, hammering me the whole time. But I tell you what, if that personal trainer wasn't there, I wouldn't be the buff specimen you see now. I was pretty good at one stage, but that's all long gone. But that's just it. You have people come alongside you. They encourage you. They spur you on. They get you to do those things that maybe you on your own wouldn't have done. And again, that's what we're about here. You know, I always talk about good news. I'm talking about good news stories. Who spoke to Margaret Chow this morning? Far out, you guys, you've got to talk to Margaret Chow. She just opened her surgery this week, right? She had three God appointments without even looking for them. I mean, we prayed over that place. We prayed for Margie. We prayed for her staff. We're like, God's going to do great things here. Three God divine appointments this week. And she brought one of her patients to church this morning. How cool is that? And you know what's really bizarre about that? This patient said to Margaret, I want to make an appointment with you on Thursday. There's all these things I want to have answered. I've got these questions that I need answers to. So can I just come and make an appointment? Margaret's like, yeah, sure. Thursday's the earliest time available. You know what the lady said uh, after the service this morning with Pastor Darrell? She said, you know what? I don't have to have that appointment with you because Pastor Darrell has just answered all my questions. How cool is that? 
I, I think that's pretty awesome. And I, I, think, I think this is God working. We said that God is going to work through Margaret. God is going to work through that place. We didn't know how. We didn't know what was going to happen. And here we are, week one, and there's three appointments. Man, that blows my mind. I get excited about stuff like that. I hope you do too. Okay, now that was just a little bit of a side. Let's go back to what we should be talking about. But seriously, when we come alongside people and when we spur them on to greater work, you think about these guys. For years and years, they've been trying to rebuild this wall. They've been trying to make this happen in Jerusalem. And suddenly this dude, Nehemiah, comes along and he's saying, this is what God has done. This is good news. He's allowed us full access to get all the materials we need to make this wall happen. And the story that we're going through, you know how long it takes them to rebuild this wall? 52 days. Is that incredible? I think it's amazing. And I think, well, if God can do that, he can do anything. And God can do anything. And if we set our mind to make things happen in this place, God will do it as long as within his will and purpose. And you know what I think God wants to do? I think God wants to raise people up to know him more. I think God wants to raise people up to love him more. I think God wants to raise people up who are disciples who disciple others. And I think if we set our mind upon that this year, which is what we've determined we should be doing, God will do amazing things. We will have this place full and we'll be going, what can we do, God? We need more room. And it's not just about numbers. Don't hear me say that. This is all about bringing people into the kingdom. And if we are so blessed that we don't have to move from this facility because people are coming in and then we're praying and anointing them and sending them out and they're going off into areas winning others for the Lord, how awesome would that be? And I believe God can do it. I've seen him do it. And he did it here for these guys. The thing is, In order for this to work for these guys, and in order for it to work here, we have to be willing to sacrifice. That's what it takes. What happens here in Nehemiah is only possible because the majority of people involved set aside their own desires. They set aside what was best for them, and they committed to the task that was before them. If we were to skip over this chapter, if we weren't to focus on what happened here in chapter 3 or not look at it as deeply as we should, we'd miss this great teaching about self-sacrifice. There's a number of people who've mentioned here, but I want to point out eight right now. Okay, These are villages, towns, cities, places outside the walls of Jerusalem. And in, in the passage of scripture that we've looked at, each one of these towns and cities came to Jerusalem to help rebuild the work. They were within a 15 to 20 mile radius of Jerusalem. What benefit do they have from rebuilding the city? Quite frankly, nothing. Because when the city walls are rebuilt, those within the city get the benefit. Hey, they're the ones that are protected. They're the ones that now have a place where people feel safe. They'll get the traders come in. Commerce will grow. There'll be all these things that happen as a result of those walls being built. And these guys don't really benefit from it. But these guys wanted to be united in the plans and purposes of God. They heard the call and they responded and they came in. They had their own places. They had their own land to work. They had their own homes to maintain and repair. They had their own tasks and jobs that they had to fulfill. 
Some of these people were officials that should have been running their cities and their towns. But they came to Jerusalem and they became part of this work. And those within Jerusalem at this time forgot their normal livelihoods. They forgot what they would normally do and they focused on this task before them. They were committed and dedicated to this job at this time in this place. And the majority, they were willing to do whatever was required in order to see the work completed. They wanted to see God's plans and purposes fulfilled. But there are always, and hear me clearly, there are always people who will not support the work. And we got these guys. Rochelle, who are these guys? Tekoites. Okay, so the Tekoites, they came and they repaired, but their nobles would not stoop. They would not lower themselves to that level in order to get their hands dirty and be part of this work. They've set themselves up above everyone else. Yeah, you might do that, but we're not. We're not participating in that. We're not having anything to do with what you're doing. They have these proud, self-inflated egos. And as such, they're unable to humble themselves to the work of the Lord. How sad is that? I can't think of anything worse. And they disqualified themselves from the work, but in reality, they disqualified themselves from the reward of being part of God's plan and purpose. And that, to me, is tragic. But that didn't stop the other citizens of Tekoa. In fact, these guys were very enthusiastic. And it's great when you look at what actually happened. And... Uh, this enthusiasm is true of so many of the people. And this work was not just started and slowly petered out or anything like that. They actually stuck with it. They completed their tasks. And then they looked to where else they could actually do more work, where they could serve more after they completed the tasks and roles that were given them. And there's several groups that are mentioned. Uh, the Miramoths, they completed one part of the wall and then they repaired another section. Uh, the Meshalam did the same. And then Tekoas, in spite of the noble people, not helping them, not being a part of that. They repaired their section of the wall and then they did another two sections. Maybe they did it in spite of their leaders just to say, hey, we're going to do extra. And the other thing is that those involved didn't see this as a chore. They didn't see this as a burden. They saw it as an honour. They saw this as something fantastic. They'd been given the opportunity to be involved in a work of God and they embraced it. They were so enthusiastic about it. They just took it as an honour that they had this chance to serve him in this way. And they also did good work. And I don't know if part of God's plan in this was for Nehemiah to set all these guys up so that when they walked out the front door of their house, they saw the bit of the wall that they'd actually done. Did you pick that up in scripture? That the bit they did was actually right in front of their house? And you know, you're not going to do any shonky work right in front of your own house, are you? Every day you walk out, you're going to be like, ooh, I should have done that a bit different there. You know, your friends come over, you go, hey guys, come in the back door. Yeah, don't come in the front door, eh? The wall's there. But now these guys, they, they built the wall and every day they walk out the front door and it's like, yep, that's my contribution to the Lord's work. Me and my household, we did that. 
And then there was other sections, of course, where were particularly uh, favoured areas. Um, around the gates were areas of significance. And then there was the gardens around the... Uh, sorry, the gate... The king's gardens um, opposite the stairs that go down to the city of David and things like that. Very significant locations within Jerusalem. So the people who actually built those would have built them with great care, making sure that they were perfectly aligned and things like that. So as people walked down, they'd be like, wow, isn't this awesome? Because that was a high traffic area. And so there was great pride taken in the work that they actually did. And then in this mix... There's people who'd messed up a little. And we've got a couple that are mentioned actually in scripture. We've got this guy. I was told this was going to be trouble tonight. We've got this guy called Miramoth. And he's the grandson of Hakoz. And Hakoz was banned from the priesthood because of his mixed marriage. Something that was abhorrent to God at the time. And it should never have happened. And yet here's his grandson involved in this incredible work of God, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Then we've got this other guy. Maybe we don't have this other guy. Okay, it's gone. Sorry? Yeah, it did. It's not happening. It's Dunskis. Doesn't matter. We're close to the end of that anyway. We had this guy, Malkajah, who had married a foreign woman and he was convicted under Ezra's teaching. And Ezra came to him, told him how wrong he was. And he did, took the steps that he needed to take in order to make amends for his sin and things like that. And wow, it's a miracle. <laughs> and yet here he is, he too is working on this wall. And so what's, what's in this for us? What's it actually saying? We, as a leadership team, we've prayed so fervently about the church. We've asked God for direction. We've asked him to show us his purpose and will for us as a people of God. And I believe firmly that he's telling us to get back to the basics. I believe he's telling us to teach the foundational things of faith, that we can stand upon those foundations. You know, the walls of Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt at this time when Nehemiah came. And I think we need to rebuild the walls here. I, need to, I believe we need to strengthen the foundations of our faith. And I know there's people who don't like us saying that. I know there's people who even get offended that we say we have to go back to the basics. But can I just ask you, if that's you, what's so wrong with revisiting the basics? What's so wrong with starting from scratch? And making sure that the foundation we have is a firm foundation, a foundation which we can set and then we can slowly build on that and we can encourage and strengthen each other as we journey together. And if you have more knowledge, if this is not something that's new to you, if this is something that you know well, that is fantastic because as you move along, whoever's beside you in rebuilding this wall, they may need someone to encourage them in the faith. They may need instruction on part of Scripture, part of the Christian walk that they don't understand. And if you're the one with more knowledge, you're the one God's calling to do that. So what's wrong with revisiting this? Let's lay these foundations again. Let's establish each other. Let's build each other up in the faith. So together, we become stronger. Together, we stand firmly on the faith we declare.
And again, we as leaders believe we are being called to make disciples, not converts. And I think it's a bit of a trap that we've fallen into over the years. We had so many uh, meetings where it was all about getting people in the door. It was all about having converts, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then there was nothing. I, I was with a group of people on Saturday. That was only yesterday. Wow. I was with a group of people yesterday and we were talking about discipleship and they were saying, oh, you know, discipleship, yeah, we've done that. It's just so good and blah, blah, blah. I said, name for me those who disciple in our church. No one had a name. That's sad for me because I know how much Atlanta and I disciple, but no one had a name. How sad is that? If we say that we're a church that disciples, we can't even identify the people in our church who disciple. That's heartbreaking. Because that's what we should be about. And again, if you're one of these people who's done this journey, who's walked with Christ faithfully, we need you to be discipling. And I firmly believe in generational discipling. These young people over here, I didn't call you kids tonight, do you feel better? I only call you kids because I'm so old, but these young people, you know, the best people to disciple these young people are the young adults, the ones that have actually gone through uni and now are starting their work. These people are entering uni. It's a scary place for some of them. How do I do uni? How do I stay committed to Christ? How do I make all this work? I just feel like I don't have enough time to do anything. You've been through that journey and you can help them in that. You're not going to perform miracles but you can tell them about the day-to-day struggles that you had and how you prayed and how faithful God was and how he brought you through this. Parents of young children, you're the best ones to disciple young marriage who are looking at having kids and what's that all about? And those of you who've got like kids about our age, uh, you know, do you remember when you had a baby, that first baby, and it's like, oh my goodness, are they still breathing? You know, you jump up like a hundred times with the first child. It's like, yeah, oh, they're still breathing. Thank you, Lord. That's great. But, you know, these people are entering into this time and they don't know what to expect. And the best person to come alongside them is someone who's actually been through that experience. The second child's not a problem. You just let them fend for themselves. But the first one. <laughs> Guys. We need to be honest with each other. We need to share with each other. Who is the best person who can walk alongside someone who's going through divorce? As much as we hate divorce, as much as we don't believe divorce should happen, it happens. And the best person to walk alongside that person is someone who has been through divorce and separation. Someone who is suffering from chronic depression, the best person to walk alongside them is someone who has been through depression. Someone who has walked through Christ with that. We have to get real about our faith and our life, what has happened in your life, can be used for God's glory and purpose. But we've got to be willing to share that. We've got to be willing to stand alongside each other. Are we willing to put aside the differences that are evident in this place stand together with the intention of being united as one people under God building up his church and you know there's people here I dearly love but I've called you freaks and weird because you are freaks and you're weird and I love you because you do things that I would never do you reach people I will never reach and we have to value each and every one 
There's people up here who sing and play instruments. Wasn't that awesome tonight? I, I, didn't, I know there's just something very special about tonight. I just loved it. It was just brilliant. But you know what? There's people who shouldn't be standing up here singing and worshipping. Because Pastor Darrell's not here, I can mention his name. He's volunteered many times for the worship team. He cannot sing. <laughs> Trust me. But he's, I think he's okay at a few other things, yeah? Will you stand by side, side by side? Will you encourage those people around you? Will you build others up in the faith? Will you help equip those who are around you? Will you be willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm in. Lord, if you want us to make disciples, Lord, I don't know how to do that, but I'm in. I want to be one of those people, Lord, who can stand in glory in your presence and say, I didn't have much, but I gave it to you, Lord, and I was able to work for you. Not because of who I am, Lord, but because of who you are. I want you to think about that little boy who had two fish and five small barley loaves. In his hands, that was a snack. But when he released that to Jesus, Jesus fed 5,000 men as well as women and children. Guys, whatever you have, you think it is nothing. If you offer it to Jesus, he will take it and he will use it in a more powerful way than you could ever hope or dream of. We just have to be willing to give what we have to him. So are you willing to be self-sacrificing and lay aside your rights, your privileges, and count all of that rubbish, everything that you have, as rubbish in order to serve a greater purpose for our Lord and Saviour? In this story of Nehemiah, there were so many who enthusiastically embraced the work that was before them. But there was also that self-righteous bunch, unwilling to commit to the work at hand. They excluded themselves by their choices. Do not be a people who exclude yourself because of your choices. That's all I ask tonight. Make the right choice. Take the right action. I want you to think about your life too. I know there's people here who beat themselves up over the sins that they have committed. There's people who don't think they can serve God because of what they have done. If you're hearing my voice, I believe God has a purpose in you being here tonight. Do not believe those lies. We serve a gracious, loving, forgiving God. And we saw even in the story of Nehemiah, there were those who could have been excluded by man's standards, but they weren't. If you come... If you repent, if you humble yourself before God, he can and he will use you for his purposes and glory. Each and every person who was present in Jerusalem when Nehemiah arrived was able to help in the work. Isn't that exciting? You know, and I firmly believe that each and every person who is gathered here at SDBC is here at this time for a purpose. God can and will use you for the work here. If you're visiting, maybe that's in your home church. Maybe that's where you came from. But God can and will use you. And I just want to say... Let's get excited about the things that God is doing. If you want to hear good news stories, come and talk to me. There is so much that God is doing. I am blessed by the amount of people that are walking our doors, giving their life to Christ and things like that. There's so many people that are talking about being baptized. There's people who want to study God's word. It's just happening over and over and over again. And they're the things we should be focusing on. Get excited, folks. God is moving. Amen. 
Okay, that's a good start. It's going to get better week to week, though, isn't it? You're going to be pumped. You're going to come and say, Charlie, I just need to spend an hour with you because I've got all these things I want to tell you about. I think, you know, if Margaret was given the opportunity this morning, she would have spent ages with me. She didn't have that opportunity. But, guys, we need to get excited about the things that God's doing. And I think we need to be those who pray. We need to be those who study God's word. We need to be those who are committed to what God's word calls us to be. We need to set challenges from what God's word says to us each and every day. And we need to encourage each other. We need to build each other up in the faith. There are people sitting beside you who don't think they can do it. It's up to you. It's up to me. This isn't something just for the leaders. We need to stand united in encouraging and equipping each other and building each other up in the faith. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have a role and a purpose for each and every person who's hearing my voice. And Lord, whether they believe that or not, they have the opportunity to submit and commit to you and Lord, to offer the little that they have. And they will see that greatly multiply because you are the God of abundance. Your storehouses know no end. And Lord, if we are only willing to submit to you and your authority, you will use us for your purposes and your glory. And Lord, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about our abilities and our talents. It's about you and what you've done for us. And Lord, we can only know your saving grace through the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can only get into eternity through grace and grace alone. And so, Lord, we submit to you. I submit to you. Oh, God, I desperately want more of you. And I ask that that's the prayer for each of us here tonight. And Lord, I know you've spoken to people. You always do. Your word never comes back void, ever. So Lord, there's people here who need to make that commitment. I ask you will, by power of Holy Spirit, move in their hearts tonight. And that Lord, if they need to come and pray, if they need someone to encourage them, that they will come forward. In Jesus' name. Amen.